This is an ABC podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the spleen's been a great night so far, so let's bring it down a notch. (laughs) And welcome to the next act. She's not who you came to see, but she got a spot because she's on TV. Probably not for long, though. Frankly, her career has plateaued. (laughs) Switch off mentally now because she's not as good as she thinks she is. Ladies and gentlemen, Claire Have you ever had that sneaking feeling that you're not quite cut out for what you're doing? That maybe you're no good at your job and any minute someone is going to tap you on the shoulder and say, Who do you think you are? you got no right to be here. You're a bit shit at this, aren't you? Soon everyone's going to find out. Yep, me too. That little voice in your head has a name. It's imposter syndrome. I know! Turns out your most toxic colleague can be your own brain. I'm Claire Hooper and this is The Pineapple Project, the podcast that makes you better at work. You've already learned to work smarter, impress your boss and start building your networks. Now it's time to call the exorcist on this bad boy and build your defences against the self-doubt that's holding you back. So, how do you recognise imposter syndrome? Well, don't look at me. I don't have all the answers. But Margie Worrell might. Margie coaches people on how to be braver and better at work, at places like Facebook and NASA and the UN and my little broom cupboard at the ABC. Research shows that about 70% of people have these fears at some point in their careers where they go, oh, you know, I don't know if I deserve to be here. Research also shows that women are more likely to attribute their success to a helping hand, someone, you know, I just got lucky and versus, you know what, I worked hard and I'm bright and I deserve to be here. And so, you know, the problem is it actually keeps people from, one, enjoying in feeling, you know, that they deserve to be where they are and, two, from putting themselves out there and risking that exposure that we need to do from, you know, leaning in, taking the risks, having the conversations to do more of what it is we love to do. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what your job is or which industry you work in. You could be a chef or a lawyer or an assistant manager at a jewellery shop. If you're the kind of person who cares about your work and wants to do your best, you're probably wide open to imposter syndrome. Yeah, look, I have met people who are in CEO roles who say they have moments of it where they go, oh, I think people think I have all the answers here and I know everything about this business. I have this skill to a masterful level and I don't. But it does tend to be something that people who are experts in their field struggle with more, people who are perfectionists, because they set the bar so high. And when we set the bar super high, we're aware of where we're not getting over it. And so the more we want to be masterful in a field, the more you know, ambitious and driven we are to do that, the more we can actually have those feelings of, ah, but there's so much I don't know. So are you saying that imposter syndrome can be experienced by anyone at any stage in their career? Yeah. Look, I remember reading something, Jodie Foster, you know, she was getting her seventh Oscar and she said, I'm waiting for them to realise I'm actually not that good. And Maya Angelou, the wonderful writer and poet, she said, you know, I'm just waiting for the world to realise, you know, she's not that great a writer. Margaret Chan, head of uh, the World Health Organisation, she's like three degrees and two doctorates or something. She said, you know, I think people think I know everything and I'm, I often am like waiting for 
people to realise I don't know everything. And so I think as we go through in life, we often, Australians versus, say, Americans, as an example, tend to be really good at talking ourselves down, being very self-deprecating. You know, we sort of, we don't like people who think they're too good. You know, they're too full of themselves. But I think because we sort of celebrate and reward that, oh, yeah, no, I'm, look, I, you know, I'm just very fortunate to get here. I'm just very lucky. We re reward that sort of self-deprecation. It, it actually keeps us sometimes from going, you know, I, I do deserve to be here. I worked hard. And that can come across as being a bit conceited, arrogant, up yourself. And so I think actually, even though we, we might be just saying that because that's socially acceptable to be very humble, that humility can sometimes keep us from just owning our success as well. Man, there are so many times when I will be, you know, I'll be at a comedy night and I'll be one of, say, four comedians on the night and I'll be just like, well, I'm the least funny. <laughs> it's really. <laughs> but then sometimes I am the least funny. Like how how do I know when I'm having imposter syndrome when I'm, and when I'm just making a correct appraisal of the situation? Yeah. And you know what? As to who is the most or least funny, there's often a level of subjectivity about that, right? Because some people... Okay, yes. You know, like at the end of the day, do you make people laugh? Yes. But I think that's where being willing to critically evaluate ourselves and go, yeah, I could do better than that. Like, yeah, I get up on stage and speak. I coach people. You know, I write books. Can I see where I could have done better? All the time, we are wired with an innate negativity bias. We are wired to focus in on where we feel we are deficient or we're deficient in something. If you're thinking, oh, that's what that feeling is, I've got to tell you, you are not alone. It seems like the more you care about your work, the more likely it is that you'll have to battle with this kind of self-doubt at some point. Just like Dr Sarah Cole. She's an orthopaedic surgeon with a metric tonne of qualifications. She studied and trained for 14 years to get where she is. She's on the board of the Australian Medical Association Queensland and she's basically there against the odds. I'm one of 4% of my profession that are female. 4% so female? Yeah. I was regularly advised that it was not an appropriate thing for a woman to do. Women shouldn't be orthopaedic surgeons, is that what you said? Yeah, I get that reasonably regularly, but that's dropping away. Well, what's the belief around that? Why, why wouldn't women be suited to it? Well, my father first said it's too heavy going for a woman and I think he was referring to both the hours and the physicality of the job and certainly 40 years ago it was a fairly physical job but now, as I explained to people, we have power tools so it's physically less demanding. You're talking about the actual snapping of bones. Yeah, the drilling and things. That's much easier. Now you don't have to use a hand drill. I mean, that's not about male, female. That's just, you know, you've got to be over... Physical capacity. Yeah, you've got to be over, over 65 kilograms to play, right? That's not about gender. Sure. Are you getting the picture here? She's literally snapping necks and cashing checks. She's highly trained, super experienced and off the charts competent. She's scrubbed up, the patient is prepped and there's a room full of medical professionals all looking to her for a cue. Obviously... You know, a magnificent pianist, when, when they're playing their piano, there's a, that beautiful, peaceful flow state. And certainly, invariably, I would say for about 20 minutes in there, it's very quiet. I can't hear anything. I can't think anything. I can't tell you the name of the instruments. I can't talk. I have to just use my hands and feel what I'm doing with my hands rather than look at the picture and 3D reconstructed in my mind for about 20 minutes. So that, that's very beautiful, very peaceful. 
And then old mate pops up. Every time I operate, I face the risk that I'm going to see something that I don't recognise or that's slightly different to what I've done before. And so the thought I have when that happens is, I haven't seen this before, what am I going to do? No one's here to help me. I'm going to have to figure this out. Everyone's going to think you don't know what you're doing. You should have prepped for this operation more thoroughly. Margie says when imposter syndrome strikes, don't run away from it. Lean into it. And then honestly, Claire, embrace the discomfort. You know, we are human beings and we aren't wired to be uncomfortable. We're wired to stay safe and secure and not to put ourselves out there. And so we sometimes have to rise above that instinctive desire to play it safe and to do the very things that absolutely freaking terrify us and go, (gasps) get out there. And, you know, it doesn't make it necessarily easy, but over time it becomes easy. You know, I get butterflies and a sick feeling in my stomach every time I get up on stage. And I'm like, for God's sake, will I ever move past this stage? But I do know that when we let fear sit in the driver's seat, you know, that fear of failing and looking like an idiot, then we never get to know actually how much we can do. And we never get to realise how much that little voice of self-doubt, you know, really is just a big lie. Yeah, agreed. Imposter syndrome is not the domain of low achievers. It's the domain of high achievers. And so if you struggle with imposter syndrome, it's because you're someone who wants to do super well. Remind you of anyone? Paging Dr. Cole. It's really absolutely critical that it's got to be perfect. Oh, I'm sure the patient thinks that too. Yeah, yeah. Possibly. <laughs> sorry, sorry to increase the pressure on you, but no, they're really hoping for a, Thanks, this isn't for a good outcome. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Look, it became obvious to me several months ago that the self-talk before the operation was not helpful, you know. What are the x-rays like? Have you got all the equipment? And and I usually play the operation out in my mind, what equipment I might need, how the anaesthetist might be going, you know, what the nurses might have forgotten to get. So now I try and tell myself three things. I will do a technically perfect operation because I've realised that that is so important to me. My team will enjoy this procedure and the patient will have a perfect outcome. And I know perfect sounds silly, but I really wanted to make myself think that that's how good it was going to be and not allow myself that little bit of wriggle room where it's like, it's okay if I think that it's going to be a bit perfect. Ever the perfectionist, she's still refining her strategies for dealing with that self-doubt. So even though Dr Cole is great at her job, and she works really hard to silence that inner voice, there are other voices she has to contend with. Look, uh, for obvious reasons, I do get asked reasonably regularly if I am the surgeon. And I guess that's fair of the patient to ask me because, you know, most surgeons are men and most orthopaedic surgeons are men. Obviously, I find that really offensive So I have to kind of park that because that's not fair on the patient because the patient's had limited exposure to orthopaedic surgeons, whereas I've had extensive exposure. But we do go to great lengths to sort of try and educate the patient to the fact that there's been a hashtag, I look like a surgeon. And so a lot of women are posting photos of themselves in surgical garb. So I've now got a eight foot picture of myself in surgical gear on the front of my practice building. Oh, wow. Yeah. I look like a surgeon. 
there's the photo. And I do still get asked if I'm the surgeon. You don't just look like the surgeon. You are the surgeon. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm trying to introduce the concept before they get to the consult. Do, do other women in your workplace, like in mm. that space, do other mm. women behave differently because they're in such a male-dominated field? So it's not uncommon when I walk into an operating theatre that if there is a new person there, they will introduce themselves and a woman will introduce herself and say, I'm sorry I've never done this before, and a man will just introduce himself. That's not to say it's just women who are prone to imposter syndrome. Men get it too. No one's immune. When it all gets too hard, I find somewhere private to give myself a quick pep talk. But the voices can find me anywhere. Who do you think you are? What makes you think you belong here? Where do they go again? Oh, oh, hang on, it's Virginia Trioli. It's you! Work wife! Mm. Ow! Work wife! Work wife. Yes, seriously though, what are you doing in my office? Just hiding from the world and trying to block out the voices. What if instead of sticking your fingers in your ears, Claire, you harness the power of mindfulness to take back control? Um, Virginia, have you joined a cult? That is a fair question. But Claire, this is science. As humans, we're wired with what's called a negativity bias. It's an evolutionary thing. And it means we're harder on ourselves than we are on the rest of the world, especially when we just let our thoughts run away with themselves. Hello, imposter syndrome. So you're saying that I should just stop thinking? Not exactly. Try this. Next time that nasty voice creeps in, don't just let it run right in your brain. Instead, use the stop technique. It's mindfulness. And many psychologists recommend it. And basically, it stands for stop, literally stop what you're doing for a second, take a breath, observe, notice what you feel so you can see and hear so you turn back into your body and you can pop out of that busy little head of yours, Claire. Then proceed with your day. S-T-O-P. Clever, huh? No wonder you're so calm. And the best bit is, by just using mindfulness to focus on your good bits, you're actually changing the circuits in your brain so you're less likely to go to that negative place next time. You're training your brain to be kinder to yourself in the future. Thanks, Virginia Trioli. Darling, call me work wife. And if you still need help shushing that voice, Margie Worrell has five doubt-busting tips. Firstly, write down everything that you've accomplished over the last 12 months. What are all the things that you've done and nailed and achieved? Second, go out and just think of five people in your life and ask them to share with you what they see as your five greatest strengths and write those down too. Thirdly, Stop making negative comparisons. Don't compare your weaknesses with other people's strengths or what you haven't done with what they have done. Comparisons don't serve you. They just make you feel less than. Four, lean into the discomfort that you feel by putting yourself out there and risking more exposure because, you know, unless you're willing to get out there and do the very things you're afraid of, those little voices in your head are going to say, yes, yes, you can't do it. You've got to prove it wrong. And five... Celebrate your wins along the way. We are so good at focusing on what we haven't done or on what we messed up or could have done better, but celebrate what it is you do well. And when people give you feedback, own it, accept it. You know, too often we kind of quickly pass over or dismiss 
the things that we do well. Instead, we really need to own it, internalize it, because that helps you realize you really are worthy of the success you have now and of more to come. And welcome to the next act. She's not who you came to see, but she got a spot because she's on TV. Probably not for long, though. Frankly, her career has plateaued. <laughs> Switch off mentally now because she's not as good as she thinks she is. Ladies and gentlemen, Claire Hooper! Hey, mate, that was a brilliant set. Well done. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a really brutal intro you gave me. Well, you wrote that. That's your Instagram bio. Oh. You should probably change that. Yeah, I might. I'm going to do that now. All right, here we go. Edit, bio, Claire Hooper. She's really great. There you go. That's better. Thanks for listening to this episode of my podcast. I'm Claire Hooper and it would personally make me feel heaps better if you'd subscribe to The Pineapple Project wherever you get your podcasts or you can just hear it in the ABC Listen app. We can get better at work together. Next on The Pineapple Project, this feeling of numbness, I couldn't find joy in the things that I normally would have. There's a certain amount of workplace stress that is normal. Then there's burnout. The sky looks grey rather than blue. If you're feeling exhausted and cynical, if you're fantasising about marching into your boss's office and screaming, I quit, you could be burnt out. She basically could not get away from the relentless pressure. So, do you gotta quit? It is an emotionally intense job. And if you're going to stay, is there anything you can do to bring yourself back from the brink? What fresh hell, Gordon? That's next on The Pineapple Project. This is a production of ABC Audio Studios.